take your Bible and go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. You will need to be there. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's multitask. I'm going to pray while you're turning there. Lord, help us. Turn the light on for us. That this morning, even more clearly than ever, we would understand who we are in light of Jesus Christ. And our life lived in him. So as we open your word, we want to meet with Jesus. Make that our desire. And we pray that you would answer that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in John 15... Abide in me, and I in you. And starting today, and for the next several weeks, and even discussing these sermons for the next several weeks in small groups, listen, you're all invited to join a small group. If you haven't like gone on the email and clicked sign up yet, you should do that this afternoon. And you have notes. There's a note sheet on the back of your paper there, because you're going to discuss what we discuss today. Heads up, okay? But we're going to be talking about the benefits of living in Christ, of having union with Jesus. That's a theological way to say it. Of having a union with Christ. Even more, even more theological, you would call it a mystical union. Because we can't really explain when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's this mystery of how that all works, of how we are in Christ and he is in us. Charles Hodge said, This union is mystical because the intimacy and transforming power that we experience in Jesus far transcends all the analogies of earthly relationships. We know we are in Christ and He is us, but we have a hard time explaining what that means. Paul picks up this idea of abiding in Jesus when he says over and over and over in his epistles, he says, in Christ. 280 times, that's in the New Testament, in Christ. Peter talks about it in this way. He calls our union with Jesus participation in the divine nature, being brought up into Jesus, that we participate in what he's up to, and he even coming into us. This is what we're going to explore, our life lived in Christ and his life lived in us. If you want a definition... Here's what I would say. It's our deeply personal, intimate relationship that we have with Jesus such that all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection become ours as he unites us to himself and he unites himself to us. That's a long definition, and if you're trying to write it, I hope you got it. We're going to begin to scratch the surface of that this morning in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 16 is where we're starting. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we, and when he says we, he's talking about himself and true apostles. Himself and true apostles. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Have you ever had an experience in your life that just totally reshaped the way you think about things? That totally changed the way you view everything in life? That life cannot go on as it once did moment? I remember the first time 
I ever had a cup of coffee from Rustica Cafe and Bakery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It changed my life. It was their house blend, and it had this juicy sweetness. It was a rounded experience. I'm just quoting off of their website. It went down smooth. The profile was mild and uh, uh, acidity, and it had a medium body. They described it as a people pleaser, you know, a little bit of bass and a little bit of treble, so everybody could like it. But from then on, from that moment on, I couldn't just go around ignorantly believing all coffee was just coffee. It's good. No, now every drink of coffee goes through the lens of that cup in Minnesota. It was the only, only time I ever had it, one time. My life has been changed. Men, maybe for you, that life cannot go on as it once did moment was the first time you laid eyes on the woman who is now your spouse. And you just, maybe that's a good thing to say to your wife. Hey, honey, when I first saw you, I just knew life could not go on as it did before. You had to be in my life. So you try that and see how it goes. Kimmy, the moment, I'm just kidding. Women, maybe for you is the moment you saw the man. Well, maybe it was the first time you met your firstborn child. And you're like, life cannot go on as it once did. Maybe it was you found your calling. I love teaching. And you know from now on, that's kind of what I have to do. Perhaps it was a negative experience like, a poor diagnosis or just bad news, that now life is going to be different now. I know it's going to change, and, and you regard things differently. Well, Paul had a, that experience. Something or someone had entered into his life and totally readjusted him, reoriented, reshaped the way he thought about everything, including people, people in Jesus. He had to think about them differently through a new set of lenses, or better, a new pair of eyes, he could see clearly. It's like Lewis said, the light was turned on, and he could see everything the right way. In verses 14 to 15, I'm going to paraphrase, but Paul said, we have decided, well, because the love of Christ controls us, we have decided Jesus is everything, and he can have everything. And so since that's true, I can no longer regard you according to the flesh. Because Jesus had changed Paul's life and shaped him and reoriented him. The gospel had entered Paul's life. So then when Paul looks at his fellow Christians, these Christians in Corinth, those who walk by faith and not by sight, that's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, I cannot view you as I once did. I don't regard you according to the flesh. What does Paul mean? He gives an explanation of what he's talking about as the verse continues, if you look back down at your text. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Before gospel clarity had shaped Paul's vision and understanding of the world and himself and everything, when he looked at Jesus, he thought in human terms, what he could know by himself. Jesus was a man. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus seemed to be this like leader of a a rambunctious group. Jesus was executed. Jesus died. That's what Paul knew about Jesus. But 
because the gospel had entered his life, the spirit had opened his eyes. Do you remember Paul's walking and something happens? Christ meets him and then he's blind, right? Then his eyes are reopened and he can see clearly. And before all of that, he says, Jesus, my Lord. Now, all of a sudden, because God intervened, Paul could see clearly so he knows Jesus. Yes, he's a man, but he's also fully God. Yes, he taught, but he taught as the word of God. You see, he knows Christ Clearly now, he was Jewish, yes, but he was the only Jew who could ever fulfill the law's demands. He was executed, but when he was executed, he paid full atonement for the sins of the world. He died, but he was raised. So, see that Paul says, I once thought of Jesus in this way, but now I, can, I have spiritual eyes to see Jesus truly. In a similar way, Paul says, my eyes have been opened to see you Corinthian Christians clearly. That is not according to the flesh, not according to what he can know in human terms and human reasoning. And there's more going on here that we'll unpack in a moment. But what Paul sees now with spiritual eyes when he looks at Christians is he sees, listen, he sees them as they truly are. He sees them according to Christ. And what does he see? He sees new creatures living in a new creation, headed to a new destiny and controlled by the true king. Look at verse 17. Let this minister to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you want some hard like takeaway from this morning's sermon, like what do I do now? Well, trust in Jesus and then memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17. It kind of preaches itself, right? Us humans made in God's image, hearing this message of new creation. Here we're, we're talking about the union we spoke of. If anyone is in Christ. If anyone has Christ or belongs to Christ or is walking in relationship with Jesus, is found in Christ, is living in him, is made one with him. That's what Paul's saying. If you are in Christ, who? If who's in Christ? If who? Did someone say answer? Anyone, if anyone is in Christ... Anyone can come into Christ. This is a gospel offer. It's going out even in this room right now. It's an invitation to everyone here. It doesn't matter what corrupt desires have controlled your heart. It doesn't matter what you have stood for or what you think you stand for. It doesn't matter if you're like a proud atheist, confused agnostic, if you are guilty vile, criminal. Paul says anyone can come into Christ. It's a gift. It's an offer. There's an offer of newness, of creation, of rewritten story, of new purpose, eternal life, forever relationship with God. And if that doesn't make total sense to you, that's okay. But it's an invitation for you to discover and learn and come into Christ. Many here have received this offer. And we are those anyone's. 
We have come into Christ. We are new. We have this benefit. If you're taking notes and you want to have a discussion later this week, maybe you would say a benefit is that we're new creations. We're new in Christ. What does that mean? Paul tells us, first, it means the old has passed away. The old has passed away. The old here, it's describing that word flesh, the first word flesh in verse 16. In the New Testament, the the flesh, this word flesh, it's used in several ways. In verse 16, when talking about Jesus, it's just referring to that he's a human. He appeared and was human, his humanity. Flesh is also used in the New Testament when speaking of mankind collectively to describe our sinfulness. The flesh, it's our sinful thoughts, it's our corrupted flesh. Our desires that lead to sinful actions, it's our unrighteous behavior, those things that fall short of the glory of God, it's our self-centered focus and love, it's our idol worship, it's it's our harmful actions, our lies, our hatred, our passions, and on and on and on. It's our moral failures. As we live trying to be our own gods rather than surrendering to the true God, well, that's the flesh. That's old. The flesh is that one sin you lay awake at night wondering, can God really forgive this mistake? That is old. The flesh is that struggle you had last week and you feel like, I can't get over this habit, this sinful habit. When will it ever break? Well, that doesn't define you. That's old. That's the flesh. To be a new creation means that the old, your sin, it has passed away. Can you, other than Jesus Christ, can you think of something that has passed away and then came back to life. Like, he's been dead for four weeks and he's alive. That doesn't happen. And grammatically, the word passed away here, it is something happened in the past that has a conclusive ongoing effect in the future. It's a done deal. If you are in Christ, all that old stuff is gone forever. Amen. The word flesh which old here is explaining in the New Testament, it also explains, it's used to explain our attempts to earn a right standing with God, works of the flesh, works of the law. It's used that way in Galatians 3.3. And the reason I bring that up is because in Corinth at this time, false teachers had come into the, Paul established this church plant in Corinth. And then false teachers came in calling themselves apostles, super apostles. That sounds pretty impressive. And they came into the church and they were saying, yeah, you can have Jesus, that's good, that'll help, but you also need to live under the law of Moses and you need to let the law shape you and define you and give you identity and that needs to be your guide and then, yes, you can be right with God. And Paul says, no. Second Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Jesus has written a new and better covenant by fulfilling the old covenant, by fulfilling all of the law's demands. And so you don't belong to God now by the law at all. You belong by the blood of Christ, by Jesus who fulfilled the law. You know, trying to find your way to God or to earn his approval, to find peace in his love with your self-willed effort to get it, it's just debilitating and a difficult way to live. 
Last year, a friend who was a trainer invited me to train with him for free. And I said, okay. And so we started lifting weights. I gave up pretty quick, as you can tell. But we started lifting, and he, he gave me some goals. And one of the goals was how much I, he wanted me to bench press in a year. And I lasted two months. So a year from now, here's the goal. What if he told me 50,000 pounds? Chandler, I know that if you put in the effort and you work really hard in a year, you'll be able to bench press 50,000 pounds. That would never happen. That's ridiculous. It's impossible for anyone. And if I tried to reach that goal, I would hurt myself. I'd be discouraged. And I would feel like, oh, I'm never lifting enough. Because 50,000 pounds is the goal. Well, the same is true for the Christian life if you're trying to earn your way to God. If you look at your devotion to Jesus and say, okay, yeah, because of these things, I know I'm in and God really loves me. Or if you look at the means of grace, like the sacrament, and you say, well, because I've had the sacrament, I know God really loves me. Or if you look at your progress and holiness and you're like, yeah, I'm really doing pretty good this week. Sure, God loves me. You'll be discouraged. And you'll feel like I'm never lifting enough. Because we can't get there on our own. We can't lift the law. And thankfully, that way to God has passed. The old, that is gone. And there's a new way. Instead, in Christ, know that you are a new creation. New creation is life lived with Jesus. It's life lived assured of God's love. It's life lived controlled by the spirit and the power of God instead of a law that you try to check off. New creation, it's life lived knowing that you, who you were made to be. A child of God, adopted into his family, filled with his image, bearing his glory in the world. New creation is life lived in his kingdom with him as your king, invited to be a participator participant in this kingdom project, a co-laborer with the king himself. That's what new creation is. It's a, and a bajillion other things. Paul sums it up, though. He says, new creation is life lived fully reconciled to God. Look at the next verse. It's 18. All of this all of this good news of creation and old things dead, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is this big churchy word. It means bringing together two things that were alienated, that were separated, two persons that are now brought back together because whatever separated them had been removed. That's what it means to reconcile. And for someone to need to be reconciled, that means something was there separating the two. And it tells us here that God has separated whatever it was. And only God could do it. Only God could. Did you see that? 
God reconciled us to himself. We're in the middle and here's God and here's what he's doing. He's dragging us back to himself in love. God has done this. So what caused the alienation and why couldn't we live through it? Well, the alienation was caused by our trespasses. That old stuff. Our sinfulness, our open rebellion, our turning from God. Whatever that the old humanity. And it wasn't, why couldn't we lift it? It wasn't just that sin was a part of the old you, or a part of the old me, it was the old me. Scriptures say that sin had such a hold on me that I was dead. Dead in my trespasses. Destined to an eternal death, separated from God. There was nothing I could do about it. The old owned me without God's intervention. But through Christ, God has done something for himself. God has reconciled us to himself. And there's no part in that equation that has anything to do with what I do. It is God did it for himself. He separated, he he brought those who were separated back to him by removing the trespasses, by putting the old to death. The old has passed away, and new life has come, reconciled to God, because Christ died the death we deserve. Look at verse 21. I know I'm skipping a verse, forgive me. For our sake, he made him, that would be Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the original language, the words knew no sin or who was sinless, those come first in the sentence. And that is a way to emphasize Jesus was sinless. The only sinless man. He's the new Adam. The one who could lift the law's demands. Who could overcome all the temptations of the flesh. He's the only one who lived in this world not separated from God. He need not be reconciled. At his birth, the Spirit filled him that he could walk as the God-man. As a child, he was manifested to the world as the true king who could really rule according to God's standards. At his baptism, he was revealed, manifested, an epiphany, right? That he was the pleasing son, the one without sin. And he walked in this world that so easily sways us without being swayed. And God the Father was up to something in Jesus the Son. So Jesus, he stood in that gap, that alienated place where the trespasses were. And God put the sins of the rebellious subjects on the sinless king. He put the sins of those who corrupted the image of God on the true image. My sin earned me death. Christ took my death. All of my sin was placed on him. All of your sin, those who put faith in Christ, placed on him. Because listen, God doesn't overlook our sins. 
God will not overlook it. He's righteous and just. The sin of lust, God will not overlook. The sin of pride, he won't overlook. Evil passion, he won't overlook. The lies we tell, the things we think, the gossip we spread, the slander we participate in, the heartless, hurtful things we say and do, God isn't going to overlook it. And so God handled it by putting it on his son, Jesus Christ, who said, Put your name in here. Chandler's sins, they're mine now. I'll take them. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. This word righteousness, it's the right standing. You're in a right place with God. It's a forensic term. You are declared righteous before God. How can sinful people be declared righteous? One way, God does it, by taking our sins and putting them on his son, that he could be our substitute and bear our sins in our place. Jesus became what you are so you can become what he is. So you can be elevated to sinless. Jesus was alienated that we could be reconciled. Jesus became sin so that God, when God looked at us in Christ, he would see us as sinless. This is the gospel. Maybe more clearly stated than anywhere else, Christ for you. Believe. You're new. As we reflect on being in Christ and these benefits, I want to offer just a couple things. First, with Paul, in verse 20, which I skipped, but in verse 20, he says, I'm a co-ambassador. I implore you to be reconciled to God. Those of you who are in Christ, you are a co-ambassador. You've been entrusted with this ministry, and you can implore those around you be reconciled to God. You can share this good news. And listen, if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I'm reconciled, the gospel has just been shared. Reconciliation is offered to you. I implore you, be reconciled to God by faith, by believing in the true Jesus. So salvation is a benefit of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have all the benefits of heaven given to you. If you are outside of Christ, guess how many you have? Nobody knows. If you're in Christ, you have the, you're allowed to speak to me. If you are in Christ, you have all the benefits. If you're not in Christ, you have how many? Nothing. Zero. Salvation is a benefit of being in Christ. Second, I want to encourage you to, this is a benefit. Find assurance and the truth that the way Paul sees you is the way God sees you in Christ. Let me say that again. The way Paul sees you is the same way God sees you in Christ. You're not the sum of your mistakes to God. How about this? God is not ashamed of you. God is not angry with you. God, if you come to him, he doesn't resist you. Like, no, not you. How do we know this? Because God the Father would never be ashamed of his son. 
He would never be angry with Jesus, nor resist Jesus coming to him, and you are in Christ. God will not refuse you, despise you, or abandon you because he cannot and will not refuse, despise, or abandon Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean your sin is of no consequence. It has a very big consequence. It's called the cross. And Christ in you will cause you to grieve your sin and want to live more into the new and less into the old. So yes, we need to find life in the new creation and not the old. But what I'm telling you is, as sin clings to you and we fight this war on the way to our glorification, sin doesn't define you. If you struggle to receive this truth, this good news that God really loves you and he's not ashamed of you, then I want to encourage you to go during communion and have the prayer ministers pray for you and just tell you that God does love you. Last, so this assurance, assurance is a benefit of being in Christ. Last, I want to call all of us to take the same posture that the Apostle Paul has here when we look at one another. When we consider and regard one another. Imagine, I don't think we're that far off, but imagine a church community that only ever saw one another the way that God sees us in Christ. That when you see one another, you see works of beautiful new creation, not old things. Imagine how we might grow in Christ together if we committed to seeing one another not according to the flesh, but in the light of the gospel, then we could share our struggles and our sins and our burdens freely, even those really embarrassing sins and struggles, because we know the person sitting in the chair next to me, he or she is going to view me and regard me in the light of Christ. That if we didn't see one another just as limping along corpses, but beautiful works, masterful works of new creation by the gospel. Then we could share and confess and encourage and pray together and grow into the new together. We need to see one another as we truly are, regarding to one, one another according to Christ. And this posture is only possible because of Jesus who called sinners to come to him and abide in him. And he promised, I will abide in you. I'll put the old to death and I'll give you the life that I earned by my sinless life. And the centerpiece of this great work is Christ and his cross for us to receive the benefits of this good news, we must be found in Christ. But also for us to receive these benefits, God in Christ had to do something. Did you see that in the verse? All this is from God, verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling us. At the centerpiece of our life with God is Jesus Christ in whom God was doing something and in whom we are called to come into. So let us turn to Jesus together. I'm going to pray.
Father, if, if anyone in this room has yet to be reconciled, would your spirit implore them? Call out, Holy Spirit, that sinners would come into you and by their faith in you and what you have done for them in your death and in your rising, old things would pass away and a new creation would be brought forth. Father, for anyone who struggles with assurance in this room today, we pray that the good news of life in Christ would encourage each of us. And that as we think about our being in you and you being in us, we, we will know that you do love us. And you always have your arms open to receive us. So those who are struggling with assurance, Spirit, call them to come. And Lord, for the sake of Jesus, help us to view one another in the light of Christ. That his light would shine in our, our lives and that the world would know about your love. In Jesus' name.